1: So now here we are with episode 15, which is the second part of my conversation with Josh Goldsmith, who I caught up with from across the pond in the States via a Skype call to chat all things Albion. In this second part, we will be talking about a number of things. The Wolves match coming up this weekend, VAR, Jason Molumby, and other matters besides. So hope you enjoy this. Here we go. the game coming up, of course, at the weekend, Wolves, obviously we go into it pretty downbeat. Um, there haven't been really many bad games against Wolves overall. We've, got, we've generally got quite good results against them, haven't we? So um, including this season, the draw at home, which I thought was a pretty good point, to be honest, they were the better side. Um, what do you think? Um, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to line up? Um, well, that's impossible to guess what the squad. I, <laughs> I was going to say. I was going to say if I get that right, I'll give you the lottery numbers tomorrow as well. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think we're going to do set up with a three-five-two, something like that? Three at the back uh, to try and negate the um, well, the width and the danger from all over they've got. Really, um, it's going to be tough, isn't
0: it? Yeah, I do, and I think you're right. I think that we're probably going to roll out with like a three-four-three three, or a three-five-two or a five-two-three or something like that very similar to the Sheffield United game. Um, I think he's going to look to go kind of fight fire with fire um, and kind of outplay them or out-defend them. Um, yeah. I, do, I do think that he'll probably do a little bit more work on hitting them on the counter-attack successfully because we know we're capable of it and we saw it against Spurs and a couple of other teams um, and we really weren't able to get that working uh, against Sheffield United. Um, so I think that that's going to be his. I think that I think maybe <laughs> his message will possibly be do do exactly what you did defensively against Sheffield United um, and work on this, this and this going forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the bigger worry is I mean, I've got a great deal of respect for Sheffield United. I think they've done brilliantly well. And they, what they are is a very good team in terms of the organisation, the structure, the discipline. Uh, the motivational elements, and obviously they make the best of what they've got, uh, their credentials. Um, I think with Wolves, they've, I think everything I've just said there, you could say about Wolves as well. The difference of Wolves is, despite not much difference in positions in the table, is that they are, I think, a classier team. They've got more individual flair. You do have to worry about the likes of Triori, Jimenez, uh, Diotta. Um, they've just got danger from all over the place, haven't they, really? Even with Docti and people like that getting forward. Um, so we're going to have to be very disciplined, very, very rigid. And dare I say it, if we do get any chances, take them. <laughs> that would be nice. Yeah,
0: <laughs> wouldn't it just? <laughs> and you're right. They are. You're right. I mean, I feel like Sheffield United are a slightly more attractive Burnley in that they are yeah. Yeah. like they, they do everything right. And they do everything as a team, except they they play slightly less shithouse. <laughs> um, but Wolves as you said they they are kind of littered with quality I mean I think they're still in Europe right they're still yeah, they're still yeah. going and like Adama Traore is is turning into a very very good player he was a player I think I um had said right at the beginning of my very first podcast that I wish we would have signed up because I liked him and uh-huh. then but but what but what Nuno has done with him since is just outrageous isn't it he's He's grown so much from when he was at Middlesbrough. Um, and yeah. Jimenez, Jimenez just loves to score against so. us.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's definitely by far and away a better player than he was. Um, speaking to a few Arsenal fans at one point, a couple of them were not, when they're talking about new managers, when Arteta eventually got appointed before doing so. He, I was saying, well, what about him? And they, they didn't fancy him. They didn't think the style of play would suit them. Uh, I don't know. I didn't get that at all. And I think... Um, I think he's gone from strength to strength, Nuno. Um, likewise, Triori as a player, um, he was just a, a box of fireworks, wasn't he, at Middlesbrough, but completely unkempt. He's a bit all over the place. He, yep. Anything can happen. And often nothing significant did. But now he's he's added all sorts to his game. He's using the ball better. He's known when to release, when to to make the dribble, when to hold it up more, I've noticed. And his shooting's a bit better. I think his crossing's definitely better. Um, We did keep him pretty quiet at the Amex, I have to say. Um, I think on both occasions, but particularly this season, as a better player, we've still managed to keep him quiet, which was obviously commendable and helped us to the draw. But... The fact of the matter is we can't just rely on that <laughs> for guaranteeing the same again. We're going to have to work very hard because if anything, he's probably got even better since we played him last time. So he's a worry. Him and his scored against us and he's a potent threat, isn't he? It's, uh, it's a bit of a worry all round. Um, one thing I was going to say, Josh, was in terms of games this season when we've won, I think, I think it's six games we've won this season. With the exception of the Bournemouth win between Christmas and New Year, we've only won... Uh, matches when we've had a variation of two people up top in one format or another um, possibly playing someone wider but we've always had two of what we would describe as our strikers up front um, gotcha the Watford game I think we had Andoni and Licardia were part of the equation and obviously Subs came on uh, Morpé and Murray I think came on um, I think it was like, the other way I think we had I way.
0: think we yeah. started with Murray and Lacardia. And then well, we had Andoni and Mopai come on because they just ripped Watford apart, didn't they? Yes. And they, they got one scored. each. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so, yeah, so we had two strikers on in that game. We've had two strikers on in the other matches. I looked through the stats. Norwich, um, Spurs, um, of course, Connolly made his, his, um, his yep. first main impression. In fact, his only main impression so far. Yeah. Um, and the only time, as I said, we didn't play with two out-and-out strikers in one form or other was Bournemouth. So maybe the 3-5-2 or 5-3-2 format might work better for us to keep our hopes up. Um, we've just about got two strikers, haven't we? We can play. So uh, right. that might work out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Incidentally, um, not a quiz question, but did you know the head-to-heads between our two sides, Wolves and Brighton?
0: Uh, I do not entirely. I do know that they um, they are a lot worse off than us. Uh, I, I have a couple of good, real stats on it um, that that we are both on a an, an, uh, winless streak of nine right now in our own ways. I'm sure you've probably seen that as well. That yeah. we have not won in nine, and Wolves have never beaten us in their nine previous meetings in a top flight match against us. So right.
1: yeah.
0: somebody's somebody's O has got to go. <laughs>
1: yeah and we haven 't actually played each other that many times historically. Look at my stats i 've got here and um, we 've won fifteen they 've won six um this is in all divisions obviously and uh, twelve draws um so all of that most of those draws have been coming in the more recent era, by the sounds of it um which is interesting stats and uh, we did start off with a couple of defeats in cups, but our league record looking through it um, which started in the top division um we actually won um, almost all the time against them when we first played them in the top division. 3-1 um, away and 3-0 at home in 7980. 80 2-0 um, both games in the next season. 1-0 away and 2-0 at home the year after. 1-0 away and 5-1 at home the year after that. Um, that was all in the top flight. Um, bearing in mind, we were getting... Actually, sorry, it's not the, the last one, wasn't that was uh, That was in league, uh, in division two. The, the 1-0 and 5-1. Um, and then we've had a mix of results, but quite a few draws along the way. Um, but yeah, you're right. All of the recent games seem to be draws of really close affairs. So maybe that gives us some sort of encouragement that we're some kind of a bogey team for them. Um,
0: yeah, we actually are their ultimate bogey team. Uh, hmm. They we they have the worst win percentage against us uh, than any side they've ever faced more than twice in Football League history.
1: Wow. <laughs> they have
0: They have a thirteen percent win ratio over us <laughs>
1: that that is madness isn 't it
0: <laughs> so that is that is as close to bogey team as it definitely gets
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know if we can keep that going i 'll take that all day long definitely um, Agreed. <laughs> um just so finally then, just a couple of other bits I wanted to chat to you about a few bits in the news um, and um a few other things of contention first of all, there's been some um well, actually, I'll talk about Potter first. There's been um, a poll on Northstone Chat. I think it was about a week ago now, or a few, a few days ago, um, which I think had 60% in favour of staying, 20% not sure, 20% against. Um, uh, in other words, wanting to get rid. Um, what's your view on it? Do you agree with the majority there?
0: Yes, uh, I actually, I think I actually voted in that one as a very hard stay. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, I think that whatever they're trying to do, Whatever, you know, I know that we're all frustrated, but when you look at the chances we create and we're all watching the same game and, you know, every stat, whether you believe in the stats or you prefer to just watch it and make your own opinions, is that we're we're pretty much as unlucky as it gets this year. Um, we are the most unlucky team in terms of how many points we should have uh, compared to the points we actually have in terms of taking our chances and getting results. In the entire league, uh, we are there is nobody more unlucky than us, and I yeah. think that sooner or later something has got to give. Um, and even if it even if it gives in the championship, um, you know we all know how well we're laid out for the future in the background. Um, Malombi had a fantastic game today. I watched that game, uh, the Millwall Forest game, and he was yeah. he was excellent all the way through. And I think yeah. he was very hard done by not to be given that goal. By the way.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I saw it as well. Yeah, essentially for anyone that did see, he had the um, the, the chance to score the second goal for them, uh, got it on target. Goldie may or may not have got to it, but it took a slight deflection off his teammate's leg, went through his legs, didn't it? Touching it on the way. Yep. Changed direction a bit, went in. Uh, the striker claimed the goal, and subsequently a hat trick with a Goldie scored later. So um, that made it awkward, actually. I think the fact he. Uh, he got the hat trick cuz he, he wasn't going to wasn't going to let that other one go then was he
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, i think that's exactly it he was going to hang on to it at that point <laughs>
1: Yeah, but I've I've seen him play a few times, Malumbi, and um, I'm going to do another Lone Watch feature on one of my later pods um, after doing one a few weeks ago. um, Been promising a second one for a while, haven't had time, but um, he's one of the ones to watch, definitely. We've all talked about White, of course, Um, but I think Malumby's having a great season, and if he can keep developing, that'd be great. Um, In terms of Potter, I agree with you. I'm firmly in the stay camp. I think even if we went down, we should continue to grow together and see what can happen with some more longevity. Um, It's going to need time to grow. He's going to need time to improve as a manager. Hopefully, he can continue to do that in the Premier League with us. But hopefully, um, it's it's not (laughs) not everything. But even if we do go down, I would would like to see him stay. Um, Partly based on what you just said about luck, I think, coupled with... The fact that he's having to change a lot and he's maybe been a little bit hung up to dry on the recruitment front, on the striker front in particular. Um, there's a number of considerations there which would have me absolutely not being in that 20% that want him out, that's for sure. Um, what do you think our relegation prospects are? Do you, do you think we, I mean, there seems to be a sea change in people's opinion now. Um, those that weren't already on a downer about it, um, certainly seem to be after the Palace game. Even the more positive fans amongst us seem to be thinking it's looking unlikely, or at least it's looking very likely that we might go down anyway. Um, do you think we are actually going to go?
0: Yeah, I so I, am, I, I really thought we needed to beat Palace to stay up. Mm. And I went on to, for my own sins, similarly to you, the way you listen to the Palace podcast, I went on to one of those Premier League table predictors um, oh, and, fill, and filled it out. <laughs> Even yeah. while I was all in my fields, I filled it out uh, the last 10 games and it st- I still had a staying up. Um, mm. So I think that, and that was me at my like, most low, and I was shocked when I pressed calculate to see that we stayed up. Um, and I think that just goes to show that you don't realise just how tough some of these other teams' run-ins are as well. Um, West Ham and Bournemouth are like their runnings are not quite as brutal as ours, but they're not far off. Um yeah. like West Ham's is really, Still really right, rough. They have uh let me list them off. So West Ham have uh, this is their entire rest of their season. They have Arsenal, Wolves, Tottenham, Chelsea, Newcastle, Burnley, Norwich, Watford, Manchester United and Villa. So yeah. they have Four six pointers and four teams against four and yeah. six games against you know the the top top of the lot. Yeah.
1: and the proverbial um, easier games are backloaded, aren't they? They're coming later when things could be at their worst. Yeah, and, more and then for, Bournem-
0: for Bournemouth as well. I mean, they're no better off. They've got Liverpool next, um, then they've got Palace, Wolves, Newcastle, Manchester United, Tottenham, Leicester, Manchester City, Southampton, and Everton so again like they have a couple of six pointers in there um but all the rest of them are against you know top eight sides that would be looking at getting results against them and the problem with bournemouth is is they're not scoring enough goals compared to their usual season yeah. um and that was what actually i had ended up happening in my predictor i have bournemouth and west ham both go down
1: See, that's what I think might happen now. I think it might be Bournemouth and West Ham. I'm still inclined to think we'll just stay up, but I have to say I've taken a much more concerned stance, obviously. But I, I think the same, actually. I haven't done a predictor thing, but, um, but yeah, I would be inclined to think West Ham and Bournemouth because I think there's a certain psychology that I can see at play there with those two clubs where they're, they're not where they're expecting to be. Um, I know Watford aren't either, but... Um, I don't know, there's something, something a little bit more unsettled about the way that those clubs have reacted to things. Um, West Ham's obviously in disarray off the pitch. Bournemouth, I think, they're just not equipped for it particularly. They're equipped for it staying positive, getting positive results, and continuing the run. As soon as it's gone badly enough, um, it's, it looks like he's under pressure. Uh, how? Yeah. More than I thought he would be, and as you said, a tough run in Brighton. Bitterly, we've got a similar run in in terms of it's backloaded, in terms of the easier games. So we've got a load of tough games um, in the uh, in the foreground. But it does feel—I know this sounds a bit like a hopeful fan—but it does feel as if we're overdue a couple of results. And if we are overdue those results, and we get them against the better side say if we pull off a win against Wolves, for example, uh, tomorrow, or if we. Uh, get a result at Leicester, I know that's later on now because of the postponement, but those kind of games or even even do a Watford and beat one of the big boys at home. Um, it feels like one of those results might pop up soon. And we have we have still, at the end of the day, we've got that advantage. We are a point better off than the three sides below um, with a better goal difference. Also a better goal difference than Villa, even if should they win their game in hands, they'd be behind us on goal difference. Um, so it's, we've still got a slight edge um, and I do think, as you said, those run-ins for Bournemouth and West Ham are no better than ours. So I'm still inclined to think we'll make it, but it's going to be very, very close now. It's certainly not going to be comfortable. I don't think we'll be um, smoking cigars as we move into May, will we now? Uh,
0: no, so, which is just the Brighton way, isn't it? We never, um, we never, we never do it the easy way, and I think that. You know, I think that I'm kind of glad that we've we've got those games at the end of the season because it can be it can be a case of teams like Newcastle and Burnley have absolutely nothing left to play for, and yeah. you know a week. I really do think that we're going to get a result at home to Newcastle. Um, and I I think more than anything, those home games against Arsenal and Manchester United are going to be the ones that if we're going to pull out a result against the top six kind of classic top six sides, it's yeah. those two. Um I could you know I could easily see us doing the double on Arsenal this year just because yeah. it feels like we are a bit of a bogey team to them all the time
1: yeah i mean we certainly be- i don't think we were originally, but I think we've become one, certainly because we keep beating beating them all drawing with them at home we've now had a draw and a win for the last two away games um This would be as good a chance as any despite our position um uh, to do the double and um i've got a feeling we might do it, you know, um, I should be. Uh, proffering the notion to my Arsenal mates, who I'm hoping to get on the, my podcast on Monday as a review <laughs> slash preview episode, um, because obviously we're playing them the following week, um, it would be great. I mean, the timing would be perfect because it's the first of those games um, after, after this Wolves match. And I feel like it's a game we could get something from. I hope so. You mentioned Newcastle. Do you think there's any chance they could go down? I mean, it's certainly possible, but um, do you think they won't because of the toughness of the runs of those other teams we mentioned?
0: yeah i mean i don't think they will i think they've got enough bodies in between them than everybody else but when you look at the again if you look at the stats and the xg and the x points and all that sort of stuff uh they are so lucky if if you went off of like the statistical basis and all that sort of stuff they should be bottom they are actually the they are 12 points better off than they should be um and I mean, their goals, I mean, they've only scored 20, 24 goals all season. Yeah, um, that's less one, than anybody else in the league.
1: It's one less than Palace, who famously have a, quite a low score rate as well. Um,
0: yeah, and Norwich as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got a few goalkeeper stats, actually, because what, what I was saying to a few people was that, um, you know, Newcastle seem to be build, built around just solid organisation Good on set pieces, and they've obviously got maximums coming into the equation now. But Dubravka doing really well. But actually, he does make a lot of good saves, but his stats aren't that brilliant. I was surprised. Um, goals conceded outside the box. Um, it was on match of the day too, this actually. Um, Pickford and Pope, the two England goalies, um, on seven. Then you've got Kepper and Dubravka on six, and Ramsdale actually on five. So he's kind of high on those stats. Errors leading to goal. Um, De Gea, so unsurprisingly, De Bravka again, uh, Bert Leno and Jordan Pickford are top with seven apiece. So he's kind of making mistakes still, even though he's making some good saves. So even one of the things I thought was a strength, um, De Bravka's um, saving, um, it's not all great. However, yeah, he's got the most saves. That's, that's the telling difference, maybe. He maybe he's kept them in a few games. 114 saves, apparently Ramsdale unsurprisingly second with 99, then Burnt Leno on 98, Krull on 94, old Brighton boy, and Matt Ryan on 91. That's according to Sky uh, News this week. But um, yeah, I do. I think Newcastle might be okay. Um, one team we haven't, well, two teams we haven't mentioned were Norwich and Villa. I mean, Norwich, first of all, do you think they could possibly do anything? I mean, if they catch us, then we're probably in trouble. But they could catch others. They're not that far off now. Um, It's going to be tough, though, isn't it, for them still?
0: Yeah, they've got got such a long way to go, haven't they? If they are to pull off the miracle of all miracles, they're going to need to get some serious results quickly. And I think they've got, what, two or three more? I I think they've got a fair few six-pointers left. So, I mean, say if they were to win them all, um, I think they have Southampton coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, and then us, of course, and then yeah. Watford, and then West Ham back to back. So yeah. they play us, Watford, and West Ham all yeah. at the end of April. If they can win all three of them, you know they're they're well out. They're well in it.
1: Yeah. They're, but yeah, I, can I, you I see them? Go.
0: Can you see them getting th- those three wins? Yeah. No, yeah. I
1: can't. No, I mean fair play to them against Leicester, but I mean even then they just had the blow of everyone else. Uh, got a result apart from Villa who didn't play. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you look up as far as where we are. But, I mean, I think we're seven ahead of them still. So, you know, if, 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 they, if they catch us, um, yeah, fair play to them. <laughs> but um, what about Villa? We haven't mentioned Villa. What I haven't also mentioned is strikers. You're a big fan of Samata, who I quite like, and I was a massive fan of Jared Bowen. Um, both players have gone... Two our rivals in Clarets and Blues uh, in the relegation scrap. Um, are they going to be a telling difference, potentially? I mean, I'm worried that Bowen scored in his debut for West Ham, although I still, as, as you said, think they'll struggle. But Samata, could he, could he be a telling difference for Villa?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's scored, what, two in four now? Mm. Um, he scored once in the Premier League in three appearances, and I think one of them was that early sub game. So I think it's like two and a half appearances in a goal, and then he scored... This weekend, in the in the, the Carlin Cup game, or Carabao Cup rather, for whatever yeah. it was worth. Um, but I mean he he looks he looks like he's ready and fit and ready to go. And I mean he's been playing for Genk the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. and I think they've made some really good signings. Pepe Reina, although he isn't what he used to be, is an incredibly good sign-in really. Um, and it's it's just defensively that they're poor. Um, you know, Matt Target has a lot to offer going forward, but defensively he's very suspect. Uh, that Bjorn Engels is dodgy beyond belief. Like, yeah. uh, he, He's good at set pieces going forward, but he's, he's terrifying um, yeah. for a player at, at the back. I mean, it was him that was at fault, wasn't he, against Spurs a couple of times uh, after scoring. Uh, and even, uh, with
1: his, even with his anti-dunk glasses on him, I don't think Gareth Southgate could fail to see that. Mings is also prone to a mistake. I think he was at fault for something in the league. I didn't see the League Cup game, but I think it was a League Cup game where he apparently was at fault for one of the goals. Um, I don't know if that's the right game I'm talking about, but you know they, they've got yeah they have got a, an under, a soft underbelly which I think might cost them. Um, if West Ham survive, or if anybody out of West Ham, Bournemouth, and Norwich survive, I think it will be West Ham. And if they do, I think Villa drop. That will be for me, but. We'll see. I think it'll be
0: very interesting on 17th of May when uh, the very last game of the season is actually West Ham versus Villa. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: if we, uh if we're lucky enough to be sitting there and um, <laughs> sitting back and suck it, sipping a cup of tea and watching those two duke it out to go yeah. down, and we're safe <laughs> by then, I'll be very happy indeed. I mean,
1: the maths could work that way, couldn't it? Actually, if we exactly. clear or something, then. Yeah. That's, that's ideal. Um, but anyway, uh, that's, that's all to come. Exciting, of course, in a bad way. Um, <laughs> moving, moving on to a couple of other subjects. Um, you mentioned Malumbi earlier. He got a deal till 2023, hasn't he? Uh, signed a new deal with us um, this week. Um, we've also had quite a bit of fuss about Dan Ashworth on North Stand Chat and other places. Um, people complaining, starting to estimate what might be going on behind the scenes debates about who does what it all seems still a little bit unclear i mean the the general remit is i think ashworth's in charge of the overall football operation but doesn't have interference in the first team there has been accusations by some suggesting that maybe he does or that you know or the recruitment is being interfered with and there's no joined up thinking um i don't know if you've read any of that and what your views are on it um I guess getting him on one of the podcasts would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> then I awesome. tried. <laughs> yeah, easier said than done, I think. But I yeah, would say sure. if, if anyone from the Albion happens to be listening, I'm sure they're not, but if they are, um, please do. Um, they'd be welcome to come on either or both of our podcasts, I'm sure, and um, explain what the situation is, because I think people are starting to worry about the recruitment. The, the lack of resolution on the striker problem is, is the main thing, isn't it? I mean, we've had... Yeah. We've had this for years. We've part resolved it by getting more pay in and a couple of other times other people. um, But we haven't ever substantially resolved it by getting additional numbers in so that when we've eventually sold someone, um, we've had we've had cover or when someone's been injured. And um, I think that is still an issue. Um, Some of the signings obviously haven't been good. I do think people are a bit harsh about how the recruitment's gone, because if you look at it, I think number of players are either you can see why they were signed, even if it hasn't worked out yet, or they are good. Um, I think Webster's still a work in progress. Duffy was good. I think Montoya served a purpose. Not brilliant, but he's he he's good. Um, Morpé, again, you can see there's a good player in there, and he's going to get better as time goes on, bringing Murray back. There's other other people you can mention. Obviously, the aforementioned Davey Propper from the quiz section. He's come from strength to strength, I think, this season under... Under Potter, I think he's one of the best players this season. Um,
0: yeah, I think, I mean, I would go as far as to say he's probably one of the most underrated players in the entire league. I feel like it's, yeah. it's crazy how many people don't realise just how, how good he can be um, until they watch him play.
1: Yeah, hmm. yeah, exactly. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but it's a bit of a worry, isn't it? Um, I guess. Um, one other point on, on um, the Palace game, actually. I've just remembered something I meant to mention earlier. El Gargo, the Greyhounds,
0: Mr. Scalotto.
1: Um, Obviously, he got involved in that um, fracas with uh, Zaha. He was warming up along the touchline and he was actually going along the goal line when it happened. I think subs are allowed to warm up there. But it just reminded me, a couple of weeks ago, I saw a Bundesliga game where um, a player scored a goal and one of the subs for the same team that scored was standing very close to the goalpost and his foot was actually... Slightly over the line to the point where I'm not even sure if that goal could have been disallowed, even though the player didn't interfere with anything. But it seems like <laughs> we're slowly creeping towards a possible in- incident slash talking point that's going to come up and be <laughs> a bit of a problem at some point in the future. Should subs be in that area at all?
0: Yeah, so- I mean, I've seen I've seen I mean, you see it all the time of them walking, uh, cutting across the corner flag, too and with VAR these days like i i would not be surprised that we see that sooner or later where you'll see um a goal disallowed because someone was walking across from one outside of the corner flag to the other and they were on the pitch at the time it's mm. I, I just don't see the need for it the the, the sidelines are big enough for people to warm up on nowadays and yeah. i i didn't see anything about that Bundesliga one but that's hilarious as well um, could you imagine if they had turned that down and cut it out because some dude was on the pitch? Go on,
1: exactly. hell to pay. <laughs> it could it could be mad, but it's the type of scenario that comes up once in a while. You get something that there's no precedent for, and then it's, it's really hard to administer what to do, isn't it? But um, it just seems like there's a few things like that happening, and well, we'll see if anything transpires. But um, you heard it here first. If it does. <laughs> um, <laughs> one final thing i wanted to talk to you about really before i let you go josh um it's a bit of a biggie we don't have to get into it in too much detail but there's of course the the ugly spectacle of the three-letter word var or var um i won't go into too much on it but just your overview on things i've heard obviously what you said on your podcast but for the benefit of my listeners if i have any there um what's your opinion on var and the general state of play um because there's there's actually been a couple of things in the last day. Um, Seferin, I think he's the UEFA head, isn't he now, um, has been speaking, I think, in the last 24 hours about um, ongoing debates about it. UEFA aren't happy with everything. They want to change the general remit for some some stuff to do with the lines. They want to thicken the lines um, for the offside decisions, which I think would be a good thing. I'd be 100% in favour of that because I think it would limit down the... That ambiguity with those, uh, the current situation they've got. Um, there's also talk about making it more than a centimetre. They're saying it's ridiculous that some club season could be ruined by um, fractional offside decisions. Um, they're also still debating the handball law, which they, or laws which they think are problematic. I think was the word he used. Um, so ongoing debates. But um, I wonder what your view was on that, and then on. The other stuff, really, how it's been done in the in the league, over here, the use of monitors, all that sort of stuff. In a nutshell, <laughs> what's your take? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I hate the handball rule. Um,
0: I think it's stupid, yeah. and I know I know that people are like desperate to blame VAR for that, but that's not VAR. That's that's the rule. Um, Absolutely. it's just the fact that they use VAR to look at it. Um, I don't like it at, at all. Uh, I think it's just there's just so many situations that we've already seen this this year where that there's no complaints from either side and there's really nothing somebody, whoever it is, could do and the goals ruled out and there's just no need for it. Um I mean we almost saw it with Glenn Murray against West Ham and I mean that was not a handball anyway, but you know what I mean? It's it's getting very close. Um and then in terms of VAR, I think that I think it's just been utilized all wrong. Um I mean we had so many opportunities to get it right, and we've just failed to get it right time and time again. And I think the problem is, is that that it's ultimately the exact same people we see on the pitch every week are sat behind it's the TV monitor as well. Um, they, yeah. They've they've come into this with their biases and their feelings and their thoughts and their friendships and their, you know, their the the emotion that is supposed to be taken out of it. Um, yeah. And absolutely, spot how can we? Inside.
1: Yeah, how can we how can we expect anything different when that's that's the situation? I agree, hundred percent. I think the ref standards have been particularly bad this year, um, and by that I mean obviously including VAR, because as you said, it's the same people making decisions. Um, interestingly, David Ellery, who of course one-time ref, who's I think he's a president of something to do with the referees association or something. I don't know what, he, what his role is, but he's got some sort of um, high-up role. He's saying that he thinks that um, he doesn't like the fact they're in Stockley Park somewhere miles away in, I can't remember the word he used, but basically an isolated, um, non-emotive position. He's not in touch with the game in the same way when he's uh, VARing there, whoever the ref may be in that case, Um, and there's a disconnect somewhere and that that needs to be changed. I think bringing in the monitors, I, I think there was some good feedback from the first three incidents where we... Brought the monitors back in in recent weeks um, positive feedback from that. I think if they can use the monitors, get the refereeing standards better in general and um, slow and sorry, speed up the decision making and just make clearer the clear and obvious rule and change those rules you've mentioned on handball and offside, then I think we've got something that can work. I was in favour of it to start with, um, not been impressed with it so far. I think, were you the same? Were you in favour initially?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was super in favour. There was yeah, a couple absolutely. of times last year when certain goals were scored, like Sol Bambas against us, you know, that should never have stood, and you think, well, VAR would have ruled that out. And now we're watching it, and you watch it back, and you think, well, maybe it wouldn't have, because whoever's behind the monitor on the day doesn't fancy it. And that's mm-hmm. just insane. Um, you know, we've, we've long felt that the referees protect referees. Um, we've seen it a whole bunch of times. The FA protects referees even when they've made horrible decisions um with like red and yellow cards that well especially red cards that should never have been given um and teams appeal it and you know i i think it was just last wasn't it us last year that had a sending off um yeah. i feel like we had somebody sent off that was just outrageous um i can't remember who it was now But I remember that I was listening to Talk Sport as I drove into work one morning and they were talking about it, too. And they were saying that it was just the most absurd red card they'd seen all season. And they expected the FA to turn it off. And of course they didn't. They they kept it up because they protected the ref. And Mm -hmm. like I said, we've got the same people in the in the background doing the same job. They're protecting the referee's decision even if it's, it's a bad one.
1: Yes, this protected the ref thing. I just don't understand. I could sort of understand the instinct for doing it, but actually with, when you think it through logically, it makes more sense to not do that, to, to just say, look, okay, the ref got it wrong. They're human. They've, they've only got one perspective on the match and it's all in fast motion. Uh, you know, they haven't got time to absorb things. The, the VAR can slow things down, give them a bit of thinking time, which is maybe not a bad thing, give them time to process what they've just seen. But ultimately, they've only got one view. They may not be great at the job in general. And why shouldn't somebody say, actually, that wasn't right? We have to overturn that decision, um, either VAR or retrospective bans or whatever it might be for players, a red car that was escaped, something like that, whatever it might be. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think it undermines the refs. I think it helps them. I don't personally. I've never asked a ref this. Um, I don't know any. But if if I did, I ask them. Would you, would you actually feel undermined by someone overturning your decision in the cold light of day two days later in a FA office or, or wherever it is? Yeah, I, I wouldn't myself. But I don't know. I'm not. I'm not convinced that they would either.
0: But, yeah, and I would. I would honestly go as far as to say that if they if they turn around and say yes, I would feel offended. Then they're probably not in the right job.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um because this is you know it's worth more than their own personal pride this is when we're talking about hundreds of millions of pounds yeah you and and you have the ability to get things right um in terms of you know taking a look back on it be it in the in the VAR booth or two two days later you know yeah. you should be you should be doing all you can to to bring that parity in and as of right now we we can see that they're not i just think that Like you said, the idea is great, and initially it should have been great, but everything that they could do wrong, they seem to have done wrong. And there's a lot of work needed to be done over the next couple of, uh, over the summer especially, to bring it in.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we we all appreciate it's going to take time to get things right, and I think people are generally patient with it up to a point. Um, But, you know, when you see decisions like that Bournemouth situation a couple of weeks ago with the disallowed goal, Uh, Sorry, uh, the goal, which was then disallowed because they brought it back for a penalty. Um, That happens on the final game of the season and costs someone their place in the pram. That's a hell of a lot of money uh, to be losing on one bad decision. You can say things even out over the season. You could argue about other cases. But when it comes down to it, it, whatever's happened has happened. You're in the last day of the season and you have a bad decision like that. That costs you. I mean, even just a place in the table, it's about a million, isn't it? So, yeah, um, I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, like two thing. or three spaces can be the difference of 12 odd million yeah. these
1: days. Yeah, it does, of course, mean that that adds to the pressure for the referees to do their job. It's a lot harder for them because they know their connotations. But, yeah, I think work in progress, definitely. Well, maybe we'll chat about that more on another time. But um, I'm conscious that we've been chatting quite a long time here. Um, yep. you, might be <laughs> you might be listening to this as a two part of a two parter I might have to split this one up. <laughs> but um, anyway, Josh, it's been fantastic having you on. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. We'd obviously be glad to have you back on. Would you come back on maybe some point this season? Yeah, and, of course. Um, we can maybe have a chat either somewhere in the run-up or even just as a post-season review. I understand you might pop onto your show and do the same. you're saying. Um, yeah. The- yeah, I
0: mean, we could even do a. We could even just combine the whole lot and both post it for a yeah, postseason roundtable.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's not bad actually. Yeah, yeah, that would be fantastic. Great. Okay, well, let's hope we're in happy times next time I chat to you on this uh, on this forum. On this
0: Agreed. Time. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and in the meantime, thanks for coming on again. Uh, just quickly for listeners, a reminder that the Seagulls Over London event. Um, we are sponsored by Seagulls Over London, and they have an event on the 25th of March, 25th of this month, at the Sir Christopher Hatton Pub. In Chancery Lane, exit two from the tube, and just a couple of minutes walk away. Our guests are uh, none other than another podcast group. (laughs) We've got the Albion Raw guys on. um, Alan Wares and AD Packham will be joining us for some chats and then the questions and answers. So hope some of you can join us for that. In the meantime, thanks for listening, everybody. Stand or fall up the Albion. And thanks again to you, Josh. Thank you. Cheers.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.